We dived into the hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, or the first uh, hadith mentioned by Imam al-Nawawi uh, here, which is the hadith of Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu an, and we discussed uh, a few points from them. Number one, there's nothing about your actions except that they'll be judged by intentions. And uh, number two, uh, based on your intentions, will you be rewarded accordingly? Uh, number three, we should be people that focus on our character, not on our personality. We should be a people that uh, should judge ourselves not based on how people perceive us but based on how Allah perceives us and we know that Allah perceives uh, Allah looks at us based on our realities what our hearts hold how our hearts really are right um, and then the fourth thing we discussed we said that this hadith is general it's all-encompassing but there are some exceptions to it uh, such as uh, matters that require staying away from like sins like for example um, uh, those matters that we have to do because they shouldn't exist, like purifying an impurity. All these matters don't require us to have an intention for it to be considered to be Islamically correct. Right? This hadith is not inclusive of those matters. Rather, this hadith is inclusive of, number one, those actions which are acts of worship in and of itself. Number one. Number two, um, uh, it's inclusive of uh, those actions which are mundane activities of life that we want to convert into an act of worship so we can build Jannah doing those, no, you know, those activities that people normally consider mundane, such as work, study, going to the gym, going on holiday, and so on and so forth. And one other thing we did mention was that um, our intention also helps us differentiate between the different types of worship and the different levels of uh, the types of worship that we do, such as wajib versus uh, sunnah, such as, uh, uh, and in terms of the first category, such as a Dhuhr Salah versus an Asr Salah, such as a fast done because of um, uh, a kafara uh, or expiation, which is also compulsory, and a fast done, for example, in Ramadan, which is also compulsory. So intention has all these applications, and we don't forget what we said, that all these ahadith are universal, and Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, says that um, all of religion uh, revolves around three narrations, this being one of them. Uh, one of the uh, most important aspects, obviously, of this narration, brothers and sisters, is the importance of ikhlas, meaning doing it for the sake of Allah, meaning making sure you purify your intentions. When I say ikhlas here, I'm particular meaning purity of intention, that you, in, you work on yourself, right? We must always work on our intentions and remind ourselves why we do what we do. It can never be that we always, you know, shaitan, the first point of attack when shaitan attacks you is that he hits your intention. This is what shaitan will do. If he can't stop you praying salah, he will pollute the intention you have when you pray. Right? So always work on that intention. Don't take your intention for granted. Don't take it as you being excess in that you're checking your intention. Check it. It's important that it's not mixed with love for fame or love for name. It's not mixed with uh, a love for recognition. No, it's only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Right? So uh, ensure that you take care of it. And the last thing that I want to say 
uh, with regards to this matter of the intention, is that a person does not practice idolatry or polytheism or shirk if, for example, they work without intending it being for the sake of Allah. Does that make sense? We must add this to complete the discussion. We said that if you want to make your mundane action of life an act of worship so that you reward it, you should have the intention. But what about the person who goes to university for the degree? Do we say he's practicing shirk? He's not doing it for the sake of Allah? We say no. Why? This is not an act of worship in and of itself. And the scholars have said that the, uh, and the proof for this is the fact that, for example, um, uh, the Prophet sallallahu said, for example, during the battle, that a person who uh, defends himself against the enemy and the enemy dies as a result of the attack, uh, then this person has the greatest right to the body armor of the person killed. So let's say a person in the battle does this for the sake of the body armor. Did this person practice shirk? We say no. We say no because the Sharia has told him this. This is a this is a permission which the Sharia has given him, right? So the Sharia takes into so this is the evidence that certain there's certain activities which the Sharia has told us to do. <coughs> For example, the Sharia wants us to be educated. The Sharia wants us to have a job. Wants us to have job security. The Sharia wants us to be fit. So if someone says I'm doing it to be fit because the Sharia allows it. Am I practicing shirk? We say no. But where does the intention help us here in terms of building our jannah and getting the rewards? Is that clear? Right? Uh, but where it will be shirk is if you intend other than Allah in something which is an act of worship in and of itself. Like the recitation of the Quran. This is an act of worship in and of itself. Like seeking Islamic knowledge. This is an act of worship in and of itself. Like salah. It's an act of worship in and of itself. It cannot by any means or form be for anyone other than Allah. You give zakah, you give sadaqah. This is an act of worship in and of itself. You go for hajj, you go for umrah, an act of worship in and of itself. You, can, you have to make sure your intention is pure. And this is really, if we're going to get into the nitty-gritties of the Arabic terminology, ikhlas comes from akhlasa yukhlisu. Akhlas refers to the process of purifying Something from an impurity that fell into it. That's what it means. Yes, sister. You know, if it's an act of worship, if, if something is an act of worship in and of itself, like salah, it can only have one intention. Uh, then your the rewards that you get depend on how you position that. But the Umrah is not for the sake of the family. Don't confuse the two. So the Umrah is for Allah, but I'm also going to see family. So accordingly will your rewards be shared. Does that make sense? Accordingly will your rewards be shared. But we don't say you've done shirk with the Umrah you did for Allah. But if you say, I'm going so my family can say I'm a special relative because I, I do Umrah, we say, so you're going for name. Now that's shirk. Does that make sense? So uh, d d don't confuse those realities. But that's why I'm sharing with you these details because a lot of these questions come from the public. Now, if I teach the hadith, I'm taking into consideration the questions that you have in light of the hadith that we studied. That now you have categories to the understanding of the intention, to the understanding of ikhlas, <coughs> right? To the, understand, to the understanding of how the reward system of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is based. And accordingly, you can understand these things.
So if I go for Umrah for the sake of uh, the Umrah and then to visit family and then to uh, do some shopping, oh, that's, that, that doesn't mean your, your Umrah is wrong. Your Umrah is correct. Okay? But based on it, will your intention, you, sorry, based on it, will your rewards be distributed? Okay. So all this, inshallah, is understood. Do you have any questions? Our sister asked, and my plan was to uh, make sure that we've uh, driven the understanding home. So if you have any questions, speak now or forever hold your peace. Or should I say forever be in pieces? Because if, if you have half knowledge, then it's worse than no knowledge. So you will be in pieces if you don't piece it together right now. So please ask. And if you don't ask, then it means I'm a very good teacher. Right? Because mashallah, everything is clear. Yes, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, right. So our brother is saying sometimes my intentions are mixed. All right. If this has to do with an act which is worship in and of itself, it can't be mixed. Say, for example, I'm going for Umrah, uh, you know, for Allah, but also because, you know, it will build me some. It will. It will build me some uh, goodwill with my family, for example. Come, it's an act of worship in and of itself. It can only be for Allah. But if you say, for example, I'm going to university uh, for the sake of Allah, uh, you know, for the degree, so on and so forth, then, as we said, this is permissible. Why? Because the Sharia has permitted you to study. But your rewards will be distributed accordingly. How much of it is for the sake of Allah? Accordingly, your Jannah will be built. How much is it for the dunya? Accordingly, will you be helped. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Right? So something which is an act of worship in and of itself has to be for Allah. Somebody drinks water. I drink water to quench my thirst. Someone says, I'm a bit confused, Sheikh. Am I drinking for the sake of Allah to quench my thirst? But there's nothing for you to be confused about. And if you do it for the sake of Allah and to quench your thirst, there's no problem here because the Sharia has told you, drink the person in the battlefield. Uh, un under the attack, does what he has to do for the sake of Allah and for the body armor. What did we say? This is permissible. Why? Because the Sharia has permitted it. Right? Uh, so it's fine. Um, but when we, we talk about something which is an act of worship in and of itself, then it can only be for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, no, that's wiswas. That's wiswas. Our brother is saying, uh, he understands my explanation, but he's saying, I have something specific, which is, I'm giving a sadaqah, and then I feel it for the sake of Allah, but then I have uh, a feeling that maybe it's to show. And I said, that's wiswas. That's doubt. That's doubt which shaitan whispers in. That's doubt, and this happens to the best of us. That you do something, and once you're doing it, you start doubting. Right? And uh, in answer to this, if your initial intention was for the sake of Allah, continue. Because the scholars say, doing something for other than Allah is shirk. And leaving something for other than Allah is showing off, is riya. So you gave the sadaqah for the sake of Allah, so you gave sadaqah, right, for other than Allah, for other than Allah. Sadaqah is an act of worship in and of itself. So you gave it for other than Allah. That's shirk. 
But now you're giving it for Allah, but now you start having doubts, so you leave it. You're leaving that act because I'm scared so-and-so is watching me. Because I'm scared this is showing off. This is riyah, meaning not showing off, meaning doing it for the sake of show. So our pious predecessors have explained this concept of, of, of uh, in terms of what you've described, in this particular way. Why? Because shaitan will try to make you stop worshipping Allah by playing with that intention. Remember I said shaitan attacks the intention first. So one of the things he does is he knows that you're sincere with Allah and he wants you to stop doing this good work. So he comes to tell you you're doing it to show off so you just give up. What do our scholars say? When this happens, look at the initial intention. If the initial intention was for the sake of Allah, continue. And fight the doubt that shaitan is blowing into your, whispering into your, your system. Right? So Ibn Taymiyyah, I think he's, he's the scholar who says this, uh, rahimahullah, uh, I'm trying to recall exactly where I read it. Uh, that you look, focus on your initial intention. That was for the sake of Allah, continue. And fight the whisper of shaitan. Don't give in to the whisper of shaitan, because the whisper of shaitan is meant to bring sadness to your life. And the start of that sadness happens by you giving up the good that you were doing. By you not benefiting the ummah as you would do. Right? This happens to the best of us. Alright, is that clear, uh, dear brother? Yes, sister. The best way is to sit down with yourself and have that meeting with yourself. Have that private time with yourself. Get in touch with your fitrah. A lot of the time we are consumed by the hustle and bustle of society. The fitrah is calling us towards guidance, but that noise is drowned out by the chaos of misguidance. It's up to you to put your mobile phone away and take a break from your family and shut down the internet and tell them for the next few hours, I'm auditing myself. Take account of yourself before account is taken off you. You have to audit yourself. And that's where you figure out why you do what you do. Make sure the checks and balances are all ticked off. Does that make sense? That's the best way to do it, uh, sister. You sit down and figure out why do I do what I do. And just make sure that your intentions are there. If you find the intention is, 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 is swaying, renew your intention. And seek forgiveness from Allah. Okay? Yes, sister. So I, I wanted to touch on this actually because when I was teaching you about, when I was teaching you about, you know, go to university for the sake of Allah, give have your job. Um, when I was when I was teaching you about have a job for the sake of Allah, and so I could see some people like looking down, some people checking their birth date, some people checking when did we graduate. It happens, right? You think, uh, Subhanallah, I'm 40 years old. That means I didn't build Jannah for the last 40 years. Meaning I sat in university for four years. Before that I was in high school for so many years. Before that I was in primary. All those years are gone. Right? Uh, no one is here to make you sad. Uh, no one is here to make you sad. Uh, and one thing I'll tell you is Allah is the most merciful. Right? And the most forgiving. And He created Jannah for you. All it needs is for you to have that sincere dua with Allah. Say, Ya Allah, I didn't know. Today I learned something I didn't know. And I can't turn back the clock. Wallahi, Ya Allah, if I could, I would make all my learning for you. Ya Allah, I'd make all my working for you. I'd make all my employment for you. Right? Ya Allah, I ask from you to forgive my past and inspire my future. 
you build my jannah as if I lived my entire life up to today for your sake and I promise to try my best to make the rest of my life for you. That's what it is. Alhamdulillah. And you get up from that place believing that your jannah is renovated up in that instant. Because we will always have good hope in Allah. That's how the Prophet wasallam taught us. That you never make a dua to Allah and doubt that Allah has accepted it. I want you to make the dua and believe that it's all done. Khalas. Alhamdulillah. It's all over. Now I will fix my intentions and work my best and I've got my Jannah ready up to today and thank Allah for bringing the lesson. So don't be sad. All it needs is that sincere statement from your heart to Allah in your solitude and wallahi we never restrict the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's all encompassing. We never restrict it. If you tell me, Sheikh, I'm 60 years old. Will Allah build my Jannah as if I lived my life for him the last 60 years? I tell you, yes. I'll never restrict it. And no scholar before me has ever said that we restrict the mercy of Allah. Allah says, وَرَحْمَةِ وَسِعَتْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ Allah's mercy is all-encompassing. Nothing can be added to it. It encompasses everything, even the dua that you will make from your heart, inshallah. Okay? So don't be sad about the past. Very quickly moving on, brothers and sisters in Islam. Let's talk about certain things that affect the niyyah after it's done, since it's been brought up. So... Um, let's say for example a person so we've spoken about this ikhlas purifying your heart you, you remove the impurities so everything that remains is pure we said ikhlas refers to the purification process so you had some liquid some impurity fell into it and you purified it you removed the impurity let's say you had some butter and some impurity fell into it you remove the portion of the butter that has the impurity and the rest of the butter is edible right so the same thing with our intention we got to focus in ikhlas, the process of purification. Purify the niyyah. Remove the impurity so everything that's left is, is pure. And this concept of ikhlas is all of religion, by the way. And this is why this is the first hadith. Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ Allah says they were not commanded except to worship Allah مُخْلِصِينَ sincerely this is all of the religion. This is all of the religion. This concept of worshipping one Allah, this is the crux of it, brothers and sisters of Islam. This is the crux of it. Allah says, this is the deen. Right? So understand the reality of this. However, let's now discuss what happens to our intentions when things happen to our intentions. So sometimes, for example, we have a situation where we have a person who from the beginning... He did the act of worship for the sake of the people, for the sake of name, for the sake of fame, for the sake of creating goodwill. He started praying because his parents told him, if you pray, we'll buy you the car. So he prayed for the car, for example. And that is why you shouldn't raise your children this way. Where you, you, you teach them obedience to Allah by bribing them with the dunya. This is not good tarbiyah, brothers and sisters. We think, I know we did naturally with no malice, but it's not good tarbiyah. You should teach them to do it for Allah. Because Allah is worth it. He created you, He fashioned you, He sustained you. You must pray. And Allah will give you and give you. Attach, the re attach your house to the rewards of Jannah. Not to the rewards of the dunya. Okay? So a person did it for the sake of some worldly thing. What is the ruling here? The act is rejected. Not just that. The person has practiced shirk. Associated partners with Allah. This is dangerous, right? <coughs> and the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ صَلَّى يُرَاعِي فَقَدْ أَشْرَكْ 
Whoever prays for people to see, you've done shirk. Whoever fasts for the people to see, he's done shirk. The one who gives sadaqah for the sake of people, uh, building goodwill for himself in front of the people, they see that he's, he's doing this, then he's done shirk. Right? So the Prophet wasallam said this. Hadith uh, is mentioned by Imam Ahmad. Uh, and others and the hadith is, uh, is is sound and its meaning is correct it's established in all other, in other narrations in the Sahih it's established by other narrations in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim meaning from the authentic authoritative narrations right so this is complete shirk a person from the beginning didn't intend Allah in an act that should only be done for the sake of Allah is that clear? this is shirk I don't think we have any confusion about this the next one, the next situation. Next situation is a person who does it for the sake of Allah. But whilst he or she is doing it, the wrong intention comes in. The wrong intention comes in. The intention of developing goodwill, you know, the intention of praise from the people whilst you're doing the act. So what's the ruling here? The scholars say there's two situations here. The first situation is where the person started the act for the sake of Allah and during the salah, during the sadaqah, during the umrah, during the hajj, they nullified that first intention totally. And they made the act of worship solely for for other than Allah. What's the ruling here? Same like the first. Entire action rejected and you practice this shirk. May Allah protect us from that. The second situation is a person doesn't cancel out the initial intention. I'm doing this salah for Allah. But my father's watching me. So instead of one subhana rabbi al-azim, three subhana rabbi al-azim. Subhana rabbi al-azim. Now it's a long rukua. Now I'm doing it for, the salah is for Allah. But someone walked in and you became conscious of it and the quality increased of your prayer. Right? Right? So what happens here? What is the ruling here? Does this cancel the entire ibadah? The scholars say no. The entire ibadah is not cancelled. But the portion of the worship that was done for the pleasure of other than Allah, you're not rewarded for it and that won't be looked at. Is that clear? Yeah, the added quality, the added quality will be rejected. Allah won't reward you for it. Because it wasn't done for him. But Allah won't consider your entire ibadah to be null and void. Why? Because you did it for Allah. And whilst you were performing the salah, you didn't intend it to be for your father. But you increased the quality because your father saw you. Because your teacher saw you. So the initial intention is there. So that salah is for the sake of Allah. That's fine. But the ec excess, the extra that you did because of somebody else, not for the sake of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't look at that. Is that clear? Alright. Then the third situation is a situation whereby you started the act for the sake of Allah. You completed the act for the sake of Allah. There was no addition for the sake of people. But after it, people started praising you and you found love for it in you. You found love. Somebody acknowledges you and says, wow, I wish I can be like you and this person and he sacrifices and so on and so forth. And you found yourself feeling, oh, this is nice. Right? It can happen. You find yourself feeling nice about it. Does this cancel your reward? 
It doesn't cancel your rewards. It doesn't cancel your rewards. And the scholars say this is similar to uh, the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu in which he was asked, a companion asked him and said, أَرَأَيْتَ الرَّجُلِ يَعْمَلُ الْعَمَلِ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ النَّاسَ عَلَيْهِ Do you see a person who does good deeds and people praise him as a result of that good deed? So the Prophet Sallallahu said, تِلْكَ عَاجِلْ بُشْرَى الْمُؤْمِنِ I'm breaking it up so you can write it. That that praise is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving the slave glad tidings before his time. That he's getting the glad tidings in the dunya before the akhirah. But the scholars say that if the love for it develops to the extent that the next time you do that act of worship, you are focused on the people and what they'll say about you, now that's a problem. Or if nobody praises you, you take offense to it, that's a problem. Or you finish the act and now you're looking for it, that's a problem. Does that make sense? So if you did it for the sake of Allah, and through it it was for the sake of Allah, and afterwards people praised you and you felt that human nature, you felt proud of yourself, your ibadah is safe. And inshallah this is glad tidings from Allah that has been accepted. But this doesn't mean if people don't praise you, it's not accepted. Don't get me wrong. However, if you now take that circumstance and it develops you into a human being where you're checking the numbers, how many people are listening to my thing, check online, how many people comment, some people have this disease, they put something, then they keep refreshing. Huh? Refresh, how many people, how many people, how many people, so now you're looking for the people, then you look at the comments, who's praising what I said, huh? who's, who, who said what, who agrees, who disagrees, and now you've busied yourself with this, and your happiness and sadness is based on the people's praise or dispraise of you, now this, is, this is becomes shirk. Because now you've started doing things for the people who will say, wah, 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 or praise you. And remember the hadith of the Prophet wasallam about one of the first people that will come on the day of Qiyamah, reciter of the Qur'an, a person who fought in the, in, in the battlefield in defense of Islam, a person who was a teacher of the religion. And Allah will say, what did you do? And the person says, I read Qur'an, I taught Qur'an. Allah will say, kathabt, you lied. Why? You did it so the people could praise you. Ah. That's now how you started doing it for the praise. And then the hadith says he will be commanded, the angels will be commanded to pick him up and fling him face downwards into the hellfire. May Allah protect us from this. So never do it for the sake of praise. But if the praise comes to you and you feel what you feel as a result, don't take it negatively. Don't feel like I've lost my deeds as a result. Rather, observe to do the shukr, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make dua to Allah, ask Allah to help you with your ikhlas. But don't allow yourself to become a victim of the people's acknowledgement of your efforts. Is that clear? So as you can see, the Sharia is all about freeing yourself by tying yourself to the Lord of the world. That's freedom. Doesn't matter what people think of you. But in the same breath, the Sharia is not trying to shackle you with the rule and regulation of ikhlas to the extent that you stop doing anything. Because we live in a time where the show is this business, right? Everything we do, it's Facebook, it's advertised, it's uh, Twitter, it's social media, it's broadcast, it's WhatsApp, it's branding, it's, right? Uh, and these questions come a lot from workers in Islamic organizations that, you know, my task is to market, but now I'm marketing this part, this khair, it's, uh, the, the lecture is about uh, Allah and His Rasul, but it's the marketing and I have to look at the analytics and the statistics and am I doing this for the show, am I doing it for... You say, no, no, no. 
That is a process. As long as you know your initial intention is for Allah and your current intention is for Allah and you excellent for the sake of Allah, you will be rewarded accordingly. Don't let shaitan swerve you here. Say, okay, what about when I'm successful? They give me a prize at the end of the year. They acknowledge me or a message goes out, all right? from the, the, the leader or the Amir or somebody saying we for special mention in uh, volunteer of the month for example I'm getting this praise is this a problem you say this is glad tidings from Allah to you alhamdulillah in advance thank Allah and ask Allah to protect you and increase faith but make sure next month you don't do this effort because I want to win the volunteer of the month if that makes sense all right and with that brothers and sisters in Islam we move on to uh, the next half of the hadith so the first half of the hadith is there's nothing about your actions except that they will be judged by intention. Then, uh, the, 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 the other part is, and your rewards are based on the strength of your intention. Then the Prophet ﷺ gives an example. And this teaches us the prophetic methodology of education. That the Prophet ﷺ shares the lesson and he shares them an example that makes sense to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in. It's something fresh in their minds, something they can understand. And the Prophet ﷺ says that whoever migrates, obviously from Mecca to Medina, for the sake of Allah and His Messenger, then that person has migrated for the sake of Allah and His Messenger. What does for the sake of Allah and His Messenger mean? He had ikhlas, and it was considered an act of worship, and he was rewarded accordingly. But in the group of Muslims who did this migration, there might have been one or two people. Maybe one person was going because there was a girl in Medina that he was going to marry. So he thought, let me go. I'm going anyway. So let me go with the Muslims and I'll get married. Was he going for the sake of leaving, uh, leaving a place of sin to go to a place of obedience? No. He was going for the sake of some business deal, some marriage, for example, as the hadith says. So the Prophet ﷺ says that you will be rewarded based on that. The person who went from Mecca to Medina, with the people who went from Mecca to Medina, they got rewarded for worshipping Allah, you won't get rewarded for worshipping Allah. But if you got married for the sake of Allah, then you get the rewards for marrying for the sake of Allah. But those rewards are not the same as doing hijrah for the sake of Allah. Because the rewards are different, right? If you do a wajib act, the rewards are greater. If you do a sunnah act, there's rewards, but it's lesser. If you do an act which is a mundane activity of life, but you convert it from a mundane activity into an act of worship through your intention, you get rewarded. But the rewards are not the same as doing a sunnah act of worship, which is an act of worship in and of itself. And then obviously above that, an act which is compulsory. Does that make sense? So we get rewarded, but at different levels. So the person who went to Medina, got married for the sake of the dunya, no rewards. He went to Medina for the sake of marriage, for the sake of Allah. He got rewarded for the sake of marriage, for the sake of Allah. And the person who left Mecca to Medina for the sake of the hijrah, leaving sin to obedience, then this person got the rewards for the hijrah, and that reward is obviously greater. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now, in terms of hijrah, my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, then hijrah generally refers to leaving something for something else. And in Islam, it refers to generally leaving sin. We must understand this. And that's why the scholars say that a person who uh, leaves sin and goes to obedience, they've, they've done hijrah from that sin. A person who lives in, uh, leaves innovation and starts following the sunnah, they've done hijrah from innovation 
and now they're practicing the sunnah. Does that make sense? It's a migration from a situation to a situation. Doesn't necessarily mean a migration from a place to a place. <coughs> so hijrah generally means to leave something for the sake of something else. This is what it means linguistically. And uh, in the Islamic context, then the foundation of this leaving or migration from something to something should be uh, migration from something to Allah and His Rasul. If you migrate from sin to obedience, you've migrated from sin to Allah and His Rasul. If you migrate from innovation to the Sunnah, you've migrated from innovation to Allah and His Rasul. Right? And in context of, um, and like this, you understand, brothers and sisters, that this is an act of worship. And an act of worship needs ikhlas. I'm tying this back because the Prophet ﷺ is sharing this as the example to the first part of the hadith. So hijrah is an act of worship. It should be for Allah. If you leave your sin so the people can praise you, it's shirk. Because that hijrah should be for the sake of Allah and that is an ibadah in and of itself. Does that make sense? Unless you do a dunyawi hijrah. For example, I migrate from this city to this city for my job. That's different. But generally, if you are migrating from something that the Sharia has commanded you to migrate from, then that's an act of worship. The Sharia has told you migrate from sin to, to, to obedience. You do it, it's an act of worship. You do it for the sake of people, it's shirk. The Sharia has told you migrate from innovation to the sunnah. If you leave innovation so you can get that job, it's shirk. Does that make sense? Because hijrah, when the Sharia commands you to migrate from something to something else, is an act of worship in and of itself, like seeking knowledge, like reading the Quran, like giving zakah, like going for hajj, and so on and so forth. Clear, brothers and sisters in Islam? And we know the hijrah for the famous hijrah that the Muslims did. And that was the hijrah from Makkah to Medina. Right? Uh, and before that, the hijrah from Makkah to Abyssinia. These migrations were done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his Rasul. Nobody left their families, their blood relations. Nobody left their financial standing, their material well-being, their memories. Right? People are sentimental. Their memories, their history, except for the sake of Allah and his Rasul. This is what we've been told to do, so let's do it. Because we've said, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah, it's a complete package, no picking and choosing here. Right? So this famous hijrah was done, which is the hijrah from the land of disbelief to the land of belief. And after 23 years, then Mecca became a land of belief. And the Prophet ﷺ famously said, La There's no hijrah after Mecca has become Muslim. And some people ask this question today, what about migrating? Is it allowed? The Prophet ﷺ said, no hijrah. No, what the Prophet ﷺ meant in this hadith, as our scholars say, is that there's no hijrah from Mecca to Medina or on any other land because Mecca is a Muslim land. The Muslims originally had to migrate from Mecca to Medina. But now they no more need to. The obligation has been lifted. The ruling has been lifted. This is what he meant وسلم, because Mecca is a Muslim land. And the scholars say, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ said it in this open way teaches us that Mecca will be a Muslim land until the day of Qiyamah. It will never change. Despite whoever wants it to change. It will always be a Muslim land. 
by the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never made an exception here. He said there's no hijrah after Makkah is open and he left it open. Which means, if we deduce from this that it will always be a Muslim land until the day of uh, Qiyamah. Now, um, obviously there's rules and regulations pertaining to hijrah and matters pertaining to hijrah. This is found in the books of Aqidah and, and the books of uh, the, the Sunnah. And this is not the point of our um, discussion um, today. Um, and insha'Allah, thus far, we've seen, subhanAllah, how universal these narrations are. You know what? There's so much I've left out. There's absolutely so much that I have um, left out. But even though we've left out much, there's so much that we've shared uh, as well. But what I want you to understand uh, from this last statement uh, is, subhanAllah, how deep these narrations are in Arba'in and Nawawi. And furthermore, understand how deep the Prophet wasallam was. And when he was described as having Jawami'ul Kalim, universal speech, wholesome speech, wholesale speech, we should understand that this is what it is. In a few words, he said so much, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he left so much for the ummah. And as we spend time pondering over the Quran, we must also spend time pondering over the teachings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for no doubt it will help us understand the Quran better. My aim is not to uh, complete, meaning uh, we want to try and complete what we can. I actually wanted to cover four ahadith in our time together. But I even knew that was, uh, uh, that would be pushing it. Uh, and just in case we printed two extra but for me personally as a teaching objective my objective is not to rush through anything my objective for the knowledge hive is quantity sorry quality over quantity and uh, as the salaf before used to say that whoever pours knowledge onto themselves in bucket loads that knowledge will leave them in bucket loads right and this is knowledge hive so we want to be particular to the process of seeking knowledge. Quantity is far better than quality. You leave here with two, three narrations that you understand well. You internalize and you make it your year objective to bring into your life. This is, this is khairun kathir. This is, um, uh, this is beyond our understanding in terms of what is goodness. Rather than taking so many hadith where you've enlightened your mind, but you haven't uh, gotten closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a result. I'm about to release an article, inshallah, called Transformers. Not the transformers that you know, uh, but talking about um, not being a person that has a lot of movement in his or her life with very little progress. Today we mistake movement for progress. Movement is not progress. Right? Movement is taking quantity without any quality. And you don't progress as a result of that movement. Right? So I'm going to release this article, inshallah, in the next few days. I'll try and finish it up in the breaks that we have. Uh, and uh, this article is really dealing with the situation that we find ourselves in today where we have so much Islamic knowledge at our fingertips, at the push of a button, in the language that we want, learning on demand, etc., etc., etc. But where is the Ummah? Where is the Ummah? Right? Where's the return? What's the return ratio here? Right? What, what do I mean by return ratio? Your ratio of converting learned knowledge into practice knowledge. Where is that? Right? That our parents didn't have the knowledge that we have today, but subhanAllah, perhaps their thabat, their steadfastness in the deen, greater than ours. That perhaps we are a people who question Allah with the so much knowledge that we have, and they never once questioned Allah with the little knowledge that they have. 
Their Jum'a khutbas were in Arabic, so they never even benefited from the Jum'a khutbah. Today, we have the khutbah in our language and everything else the same. So what we want is quality, internalization and growth, development. Because after all, progress is you moving from your current level to the next level. Keep that in mind as you study with our other Mashayikh, Sheikh Dawood, Hafizahullah, and Sheikh Bilal, Hafizahullah. And with that, I'll bring this session to a close. Um, I want to thank again our brothers and sisters from Makosa Institute and uh, everyone involved um, in making uh, this knowledge have a reality indeed by thanking the people we are able to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taqabbal Allah minna wa minkum salha al-a'mal subhanallah wa bihamdi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk salamu Allahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuhu